Good morning, friends. Today's message is titled, When Your Heart Tells the Truth. And my base text today is from Psalm 51. It's verse 11 where it says, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. You know, it has been sometimes said that no Christ follower should ever pray this prayer, but I wonder if that is correct. I mean, clearly David feared being cast away by God and losing the Holy Spirit. So the big question is not, what does this verse mean for us? But rather, what did it mean for David? What was he thinking and what was he feeling when he prayed this very familiar prayer? Now, one of the keys comes in the preceding verse when he prays, Create in me a clean heart, O God. You see, David was a man with an unclean heart. This is the man who said, The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. I mean, this is the king God personally chose to rule his people. But he is a man of God with an unclean heart. He knows the Lord and he has an unclean heart. He's the leader of God's people and still has an unclean heart. He writes worship music and he still has an unclean heart. When a man has an unclean heart, he rightly fears being cast out of God's presence. When a man, or let's add in this, a woman has an unclean heart, they they fear losing the Holy Spirit. See, the heart always tells the truth, eventually. When God chose David to be the future king of Israel, he said in 1 Samuel 16, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, a person may lie to other people and may even lie to themselves, but eventually their heart will tell the truth. You know, when you and I have sinned, the heart will not rest until it is clean once again. That's why David prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God. I mean, it's as if he heard the pounding of his own guilty heart and he could not live with the shame of what he'd done. And that is the key to understanding his prayer in verse 11. It's all about David's heart. Well, first of all, there's a broken heart. Now, we're not left to wonder why David feels so guilty. Many of you know the story. In fact, if you look at your Bible, the superscription to Psalm 51 tells us the whole story. It says, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. You probably know the story. You know, David the king, spring of the year, times when the kings went out to war. David sent his armies out to to battle, but he didn't go. He just stayed in Jerusalem. No one really knows why he did it, but one evening, as scripture tells us, he goes out for a walk in the cool of the day, spots a beautiful woman named Bathsheba taking a bath. Well, the next thing you know, he sent for her, she came. Now, that was a day not unlike the present day where powerful men think they can break the rules without punishment. Now, as the king, David could have had any unmarried woman he wished to have. He could call for any woman who had no husband, she would come to him. But you just don't say no to the king, but Bathsheba was married. He knew that. Because his servant told him she was married to a man named Uriah the Hittite. Now, he should not have called for her, and she should not have come. But he did, and she did. Well, you know the rest of the story. They sleep together, which is the modern way of saying they both committed adultery. In the Old Testament, adulterers were stoned to death. But that was not likely to happen in this case. I mean, David being the king and all. If anyone might be expected to get away with it, it was David. Well, we know they have this brief little affair, a lapse of judgment, momentary foolishness. Uh, But then came the day when Bathsheba sent the word to David that she was pregnant. This complicates the sin even further. 
This is an example of what the Bible means when it talks about the wages of sin. In other words, you, you cannot sin and get away with it forever. It's going to find you out. And now David finds this other dilemma. He's got to find a way to cover up this sin. And we know he calls Uriah back to Jerusalem, but Uriah refuses to sleep with his wife because his buddies are out there still fighting. And that didn't work. So he arranges for Uriah to be placed on the front line so that the rest of the Israel army, when they withdraw from battle, uh, Uriah is certainly going to be killed. And, and when that eventually happens, David marries Bathsheba. She gives birth to the son conceived in adultery, and all seems to be well and good until you get to the final verse of Second Samuel 11, verse 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. See, eventually Nathan the prophet comes to the king and confronts him with his sin. He informs him that the child just born will, will die as part of God's judgment. And in spite of David's prayers, the child eventually does die. Now, think of what David's done. He, he's committed adultery. He's committed murder. He caused sorrow and shame to his own house. He caused bloodshed, turmoil to the nation. And the child is now dying, and all because of his sin. Now, that's the background of Psalm 51. It's a portrait of a person with an unclean heart coming back to God. Now, second, there's an honest heart. Now, how do we know his repentance is real? Well, quite honestly, because he recorded it for us. Proverbs 28:13 declares, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And you know something, friends? The hardest words that you and I will ever say is, I have sinned. I mean, it's hard to admit that we've done wrong. It's hard to admit that we've hurt people. It's hard to bow our knee and say, oh, Lord, forgive me, for I have sinned. And yet I know that we repeat this often at the place where I worship. It's from 1 John 1, verse 9. It's a verse that I, I've shared with the congregations I've served. It goes this way, if we confess our sins. Now, that's a big if in there. Until we confess our sins, the last part of the verse doesn't really apply to us. I mean, see how clearly David makes his confession. He uses three different words to describe his sin in verses 1 and 2. He said, my sins, my transgressions, my iniquity. In verse 3, he says, I know my sin. In verse 4, he says, I have done evil in your eyes. In verse 5, he said, I have been a sinner since I was conceived. In verse 6, he says, I know you want the truth in my inner being. In verse 7, he says, only you can make me clean. In verse 8, he says, only you can give me joy again. In verse 9, he says, please wipe away the record of my sin. In verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. In verse 12, he says, give me back the joy I once had. Friends, if you want to know what confession looks like, just read Psalm 51. Study it. Pray it out loud. Memorize it. Tattoo its truth to your soul. Well, third, there is a hopeful heart. And that brings us to verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, when the great um, preacher of the, I guess of the 1800s, late 1800s, Charles Spurgeon preached on this, he said that these are fitting words for any Christian who has fallen into sin. Now, it, it may be gross sin like David's or it may be kind of a slow, casual backsliding. I mean, small sins are often more dangerous than big ones because big sins startle us into repentance. But just like that frog in the boiling kettle of water, we may gradually become so used to sin that it ceases to bother us at all. Or when it finally does bother us, 
eh, we're too far gone to do anything about it. I mean, many small sins may produce a worse effect than one big one. I mean, have we taken God's grace for granted? Has our love for God grown cold? Are we careless about prayer? Have we slowly grown lukewarm in our Christian faith? Do we love this world too much? I mean, have we been lazy in our in our service, in the Lord's service? I mean, do we harbor a root of bitterness? Do we let resentment linger? Have, have we spoken unkindly about other Christ followers? Are we careless in our words? Have we become spiritually cold? See, if these things are true, then we ought to be praying David's prayer most fervently. Cast me not away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, personally, I believe that only a true Christ follower could pray like this. An unbeliever doesn't really care about being cast away from God's presence because they were never close to him in the first place. An unsaved person will not care about losing the Holy Spirit that he never had anyway. You see, the ungodly run away from God's presence and hide from the Holy Spirit. And it's only the child of God that feels the pain of the Lord's discipline. Those who have dwelt in the sunlight of his love shiver in the cold darkness of his displeasure. If all you have known is darkness, how can you miss the light you never had? So to pray like this is a sure sign of spiritual light. Now, what an encouragement this ought to be to all of us. If you feel the pain of sin, it surely means that you must know the Lord. I mean, the guilt that you feel is a, is a severe mercy God gives to his erring children. Your tears are signs of life within. Your pain and shame and your frustration are signs that you are a true child of God. David knew enough to realize he was successful because of the Holy Spirit's blessing on his life. Now, if that blessing were removed, he could no longer lead his people. Again, Charles Spurgeon, who believed fervently in eternal security, even argued that we ought to pray this prayer precisely because we believe the Holy Spirit will not be taken from us. Now, because I earnestly believe that no real child of God will ever be thrown out of God's presence, still I pray that I may not be. And because I'm well persuaded that from no really regenerated soul will God ever utterly take his spirit, therefore for that reason, above all others, do I pray that he may never take his spirit from me. Now, the promise is the reason for the prayer, and to pray like this saves us from spiritual presumption. Now, remember, friends, David prays from the depths of a heart broken because of his foolish sin. I mean, better in those moments not to, not to take anything for granted. Now, we might view the prayer this way, and this is from a New Testament perspective, and you're familiar with the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, where the prodigal son says, oh, Lord, I have greatly sinned and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, if we feel uncomfortable praying like that, maybe it means that we've not taken our sin as seriously as we ought. What was David thinking when he cried out, cast me not away from your presence? Maybe he was thinking of Adam, who was thrown out of the Garden of Eden. Maybe he thought of Cain, who killed his brothers and was sentenced to wander the earth. Maybe he thought of the wayward Samson, who knew the Spirit's power and then squandered it in anger and unbridled lust. But more than any of those, he must have been thinking, perhaps, of Saul, the man who preceded him on the throne. Now, we are told repeatedly that the Spirit came upon Saul to enable him to lead his army to victory. But because of his disobedience, David was chosen as king in his place. And in 1 Samuel 16:13 says that once David was anointed, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And what about Saul? 
Well, the very next verse is one of the saddest in the entire Old Testament. It says, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Just imagine, he who had started with so much promise and so much potential is now abandoned by God. And when the spirit left him, his natural paranoia took over, leaving him filled with anger, resentment, and envy. I mean, the once great Saul attempted to kill David again and again. See, David knew what it was like to lose the blessing of God and to have the Holy Spirit taken away. He saw it happen before his very eyes, and so he said, Lord, don't let that happen to me. I mean, this is the heart of his prayer. Lord, without your Holy Spirit to strengthen me, I have no power. Without your Spirit to guide me, I, I can't find my way. Without your Holy Spirit to give me wisdom, I can't lead these people. It's a prayer that he would not lose the Spirit's blessing upon his life. Now, friends, we need the Holy Spirit or we cannot even pray. We need the Spirit or we can't understand the Scriptures. We need the Spirit to, who brings us every divine blessing. And the Holy Spirit gives us access to the Father through Jesus. I'm just saying, uh, let's no longer take the Holy Spirit for granted. If the Holy Spirit was removed from us, we might as, we might as well be lost. We couldn't sing or pray or worship or serve or come near to God without him. And we're even told to pray in the Holy Spirit. I mean, if he were gone, then our words are just babbling. He's our teacher, our guide, our helper, our comforter. He brings God near to us. We just plain simple can't live without him. Now, I'm going to leave you with two important applications just to kind of press on your heart this morning. And it's pressing on my heart as well. First of all, if you're aware of some backsliding in your life, then now is the time to come back to the Lord. Just begin by praying this prayer. Cry out to him and don't stop crying out until God hears and answers. You don't need to live with a guilty conscience forever. Kneel before him, confess your sins. I mean, he'll abundantly pardon. If, you, if you've been sinning, don't be ashamed to pray like a sinner. I mean, that's not a bad place to start. And second, this is kind of a word you know, from the Lord to the entire church. Sadly, God may even take his presence away from a church because of sin in that congregation. I mean, the Lord himself may come and remove the lampstand as he did in the book of Revelation. I'm just saying that all of us, myself included, hear, hear the words today would take them to heart. I mean, let every Christ follower search his or her own heart. And the best way not to lose the Holy Spirit in our midst is to watch and pray that it might not ever happen. Friends, take nothing for granted. And do not live on past blessings or dwell too long on yesterday's victories. Yes, friends, seek the Lord while he may be found. When the Holy Spirit departs, the church becomes a museum full of spiritual mummies. That is why we pray, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless.